Call it. Call it, yes. For a whole lot. Just call it. Welcome to episode 25 of Call It Friend of the podcast where two friends watch two films decided by the flip of a coin. This week, myself, Andy J. Ritchie, and my co-host, Danica Tiernan, watch two films directed by French filmmaker Claire Denis, 1999's Beau Travail, and 2018's High Life. As always, this podcast contains spoilers for both films right from the start. Check out JustWatch.com for streaming and rental options in your region. Please follow Call It Friend or podcast on Instagram, like the Facebook page, leave a review on iTunes, or any or all of the above if you'd like to get in touch please send us an email at call it friend or podcast at gmail.com apart from that you can find me and donica cutting up the dance floor of our favorite djibouti nightclub because this is the What have you been watching? What have you been reading? What have you been listening to? So I finally got around to watching Host. Shout out to Joanne Torres for the recommendation. Host is a British horror film shot entirely on Zoom during the pandemic with makeup and effects performed practically by each of the actors. It reminded me a little of Ghostwatch, the famed 1992 BBC reality horror TV film, which scared the shit out of me as a, a, young, a young boy. I've never you ever seen, seen or heard of that. No. Is it good? Oh, man. Ghostwatch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. Re- it's actually still effective. It was a reality... I mean, it was like a kind of a, a ghost-based horror TV film, but it was shot as though... And this is 1992, so it's like pre-reality TV, and it had, um, it had a lot of the British kind of uh, BBC TV celebrities of the time. Famously, it was hosted by Michael Parkinson. That, honest, but, that yeah, honestly so Ellen, sounds great. Uh, oh, it is great. It's, mm. it's, I definitely recommend watching it because even though it's now it looks cheesy, uh, cheesy as fuck, but by the time you get to the end, you're still shitting yourself. And I, and Host had some of the similar aspects to it, so I, I appreciated it. And it's, oh. you know, the best thing about Host is it's 56 minutes long. It's got no fat on it. I enjoyed yeah, it a lot. I thought Host was absolutely terrific, to be honest. I really loved it. Yeah, much better than Locked Down. Yes, I agree. Much better than Locked Down. Well, you could say that is the COVID movie. I, oh, I thought Host was just absolutely brilliant. Yeah, I and I, I, there's, there's a very good uh, long interview with um, the writer, director and producer of Host. Stephen the, Host, I believe his name is. <laughs> on the Empire podcast where they like they've ju- they've just been buttering their bread with um low budget horror low budget uh, horror concepts in the last few years these guys and one of them messaged the other said we got to think of a movie to make during covid and apparently and this is the whole inception of the whole script he just uh <laughs> after uh, one night of thinking he uh, messaged the man back said zoom seance and i was yeah like, yeah it's just it's oh, I, th- I thought it was terrific and at the end of the film, over the credits, they show you some of the real seance that the actors did. And it's kind of similar sort of stuff going on. It was, mm. uh, yeah, I think they, they did a great job of translating it. The other thing I watched is uh, Killing is Easy, the documentary about American stand-up comedian Patrice O'Neill. Oh, is that out? Uh, yeah, that's out now. Uh, oh, wow, is uh, it good? It's, uh, it was nice to see a lot of archival footage from the early 90s, like young Billy Burr. 
being mm. a handsome young man. Overall, I'd say the documentary's worth watching, but it's really just the tough crowd comedy seller back table guy sitting around telling all the old stories about Patrice, <laughs> who was famously a total cunt. And ha- have I heard the if, stories? If like I was going to say, yeah, if like me, if this is to the to the listener of this podcast, if like me and Donica, you've listened to thousands of hours of comedy podcasts from New York <laughs> comics talking about <laughs> Patrice, yeah. there's not there's not really a lot of new stuff there. But it does it does it delves into his childhood and just when he was in Boston and in the early nineties, there was a lot of things I'd never seen before, so which was quite interesting. But I'm going to watch it like, everything for else. Sure. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting and it's definitely worth watching if you're interested in stand-up comedy. Does Colin Quinn get interviewed? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all the Colin Quinn, Bobby Kelly, Rich Voss, Jim Norton, everyone. Yeah, Keith Robinson, everyone you would expect. Great, great. Yeah, anything with all the... All center and talking. Colin Quinn being interviewed on there. Cool, what else? We got a nice shout-out from another film podcast, the Uncredited Extras podcast. They gave us a shout-out on Instagram, and I listened to one of their episodes. They seem like a good bunch of boys out of Australia. Oh, yeah? So I listened to one one of their episodes. They seem like a good hashtag dudes rock bunch of guys. So, yeah, I would recommend the Uncredited Extras podcast. Nice. What's the gist of the podcast? I I will listen to that. Three guys, and they're talking about films and other stuff. There seems to be a lot of alcohol involved in the proceedings. Dudes having fun, talking about talking about movie films. And TV. Are they on a boat? I don't believe they are. Uh, not interested. Fair play. Yurt. But anyway, I was going to say, if anyone's listening to this and you have a film podcast, please get in touch, because I would like to hear more film podcasts. And yeah. I don't want to hear a big, uh, I don't want to hear a big corporate one. I want to hear something produced by the people for the people. Indeed, yeah. Do get in touch. I'm finished. Ah, right. Fair enough. Is it my turn? Great. Okay. Yes. What, what have I been watching? I watched yesterday, last Sunday. Have you seen yesterday? Oh my god, I have. I wasn't a fan. No, neither was I. I thought it was a giant pile of pants. Um, and I love the Beatles. My favorite scene in it, which I just thought was interesting, was when they... Spoilers, big spoiler coming up for yesterday. When he goes and meets John Lennon. I, I thought that scene... Oh, was, yeah, yeah. I thought that was interesting, to be honest. As, as an, I, I didn't think that they would go somewhere so deep with the, such a sort of a facile film. But overall, I thought it was a giant pile of pants. Also, I, strange choice of actor for John Lennon. What? Who was he played by? John Lennon? Robert Carlyle. Was that Robert Carlyle? I believe so. They do some good prosthetic work in that, I'll tell you. What a strange mix of work from everybody involved. I mean, Richard Curtis, I don't mm. think he has too many lives left in my book, but like Danny Boyle, what a left field yeah, why move. why did Danny Boyle do it? It doesn't appear on my Instagram because I don't like to go on there and give out about things, but I'll give out about things here. What? What's with that stupid love story? And I'm And I like a love story, but like your man's best friend is... Lily James, who apparently is one of the most beautiful women to ever live, or I, I might be exaggerating, but she's very, very beautiful. And then they have her cast as kind of like, I don't know, she's supposed to be not noticeably beautiful or something like that. It was fucking bizarre. I'm there looking at Lily James and I'm going, there's no way you live in Britain and are this nice of a person being that good looking. Yeah, absolutely. She should be a complete Yeah, bitch, yeah, yeah. Really. It, like... I don't know if reality is anything to go... She should be ordering people around. Exactly. She should be, like, in a job that she's not qualified for based on her looks alone. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, because everyone should just be saying yes to her all the time for everything and just going, oh, yeah, sorry. 
Yeah. Sorry, Ellie. Whatever you, whatever you need. Oh, and there's a, there's a, a, a there's just a, a terrible scene in it where, <laughs> which is, I don't know, it's just for me, it was just terrible writing in general. But the conception of it is where he does a gig in Moscow supporting Ed Sheeran, and then Ed Sheeran challenges his support act to a songwriting competition, where they go off into a room for ten minutes and write a song and come back. And I just thought to myself, man, if you ever heard of somebody doing that, you'd be th- thinking, like, yeah. to, their, to their support act, you'd just be thinking, hey, man, Ed Sheeran's an asshole. What the hell kind of move is I, that? I thought that was quite brave brave of him, though, that he was willing to make himself look like a complete knob. Like, oh, in the film, Ed he Sheeran, just comes across as a total cunt. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, but I was not, not a fan. Fortunately, I've also been watching um, season two of Banshee, which I'm enjoying um, an awful lot. There is more sex more violence um, the, like do you have you seen season two of banshee i watched the first episode of season two but i i do hope to get back to that at some point to to get my fix of sex and violence there is a torture scene in i don't know episode three or four which just i mean and i've got a strong stomach for stuff but my god that really just blew me asunder i've <laughs> i found that quite tough to be honest but i've also mm. been keeping up with um WandaVision, which is getting good at last again, and then last night. See, I'm I'm just I'm just waiting until WandaVision finishes. I need I want I'm waiting until all the episodes are out, so next week I can start watching it. It gets good, yeah, for sure. I mean, the first good, the good. first episode was just uh, the first two. I would even that's say. the only one I've watched. I've only seen the first episode, so at the moment I have no idea what the hell is going on. I imagine they lost a lot of um, teenagers with that episode, and then last night I watched Titanic. <laughs> Why? Yeah. I don't know. We were sitting down for a pizza, fancied uh, just something easy, and we turned on just, Titanic. Just, we'll, just put, we'll put on a three-hour film. Three hour, 14 minutes, yeah. Here's where we'll be standing. Here's where we'll be standing on Titanic. Okay, so I've long been a Titanic defender. I've got very good memories of watching it the first time in the cinema. I remember one time I had to work in a hotel around Christmas time, and it was quite quiet, and I put it on on the TV in the bar in the hotel, I remember enjoying that, uh, whittled a few uh, hours away. And then when they re-released it in 3D a few years ago, I went to see it in the cinema and it blew me away there as well. Now, I'll say, yeah, it's just, it's got a, it's a big screen movie. Um, when you, when you take away the giant spectacle, and it is terrific spectacle, you're kind of left with, I mean, there's fairly, some fairly flat, silly characterization in there. Um, but it is... Any scene in it with Billy Zane, and you forget about all the nonsense. He's just terrific. Cal is a terrific villain. A real man makes his own luck. This is it. That's Billy what, Zane. That's what he says, yeah. I, 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 <laughs> to think what like uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's Jack does to outman him is throw him a book of matches, and Cal does not like that. Cal is, the, Cal is like, did you just... Did you just throw me a book of matches, you son of a bitch, peasant? I was going to get God, one. I can't of... believe you know the character names. His name is clearly Billy Zane. That's His name character. is Billy Zane, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's what I've been watching. I've been reading a, a young adult fiction book called Children of Blood and Bone, which is coming to Disney Plus soon, which I'm nearly finished. Uh, oh, yeah, actually, also during the week, mm. I watched Me, Myself, and Irene. Oh, wow, I haven't seen that in over 20 years, or at least 20 years, I'd say. I'm happy to say it's aged really well. It's really funny. Really, really funny. I wouldn't mind rewatching that, actually. Uh, I, 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 like, uh, we laughed a lot watching it. The thing that got the most yeah. 
giggles out of me is okay so you know the way Jim Carrey's wife leaves him for that uh, black midget guy who's in Mensa yeah and then uh, Jim Carrey Jim Carrey uh, ends up with these three black sons who are also just just geniuses I just anytime they're on the screen I thought that I think that's just hilarious (laughs) <laughs> just very very funny and Teddy from Hangtime's in it I can't believe you reference him as Teddy from Hangtime I yeah. know who you're talking about now I can't think of his name <laughs> God what's his name he's Teddy from Hangtime what are you talking about I'll tell, I'll tell you this so my films watched were what yesterday me myself and Irene and Titanic now tell me that they do not make sense alongside the two films we chose for the podcast this week just to balance off okay. my my existentialism right fair enough yeah so why don't you take us away on uh, Beau Travail? Beau Travail. Good work. Beau Travail, a.k.a. Good Work, is a 1999 French film directed by Claire Denis, which follows the exploits of a group of French Foreign Legion soldiers in Djibouti. Importantly, and this is something I did not know before watching the film, it's loosely based on Herman Melville's 1888 novella Billy Budd. Okay, I did know that. In fact, parts of the film soundtrack are taken directly from Benjamin Britten's 1951 opera, which is also based on the novella. I'll give you a quick plot synopsis of Billy Budd. The plot of Billy Budd is thus. Billy Budd is a foundling serving on the HMS Billy Potent, who falls afoul of the ship's master-at-arms, John Clagger. Clagger is jealous of Billy's popularity and natural beauty, going so far as to suspect him of conspiracy to mutiny. When Billy is summoned to Claggart's cabin for a private meeting, Bud strikes Claggart one time out of frustration, killing him. After a court-martial, Billy Bud is hanged for the crime. The novella, unfinished at the time of Melville's death, is commonly interpreted as a portrayal of different aspects of both homosexuality and homophobia. Um, do you remember this coming up in The Sopranos? No. Well, around the- I watched... I- I, I, I mean, I've only watched The Sopranos once, and my memory of it is not great. You're a silly, silly sausage. I think I, I genuinely think I've seen it all about five. No, times. I mean, I mean, it's, I mean, it's great. I think mm. it was obviously a great show, but I just don't recall when you reference scenes from The Sopranos. <laughs> I don't recall most of them. Well, uh, around the time when um, Furio Scarpers and Carmela, I'm, I don't know, she's been placing an awful lot of meaning in her life in just the, her fantasies about Furio. She has a dinner with Meadow and her, their right. friends at college um, where they start saying that the subtext of Billy Budd is um, homosexuality and Carmela just cannot accept this. Just uh, and it's She's like, of, no, it's just sailors. Yeah, yeah, she's she's just like he's just a mean man, and he kills him, and they're like, no, no, it's a gay book, and she's like really getting, and it becomes clear to the table, <laughs> to everybody at the table that, uh, wow, you've got something else going on in your life, don't you? Including Tony. Yeah, I had to read this this uh, novella for university. It's ah. it's really good. I really enjoyed it at the time. I would read it again. It's nice and short. It's probably the literature version of a of a, a fifty six minute film. So there you go. Nice. Um, it is good though, and uh, yeah, they're the also the uh, homoerotic tropes in it are very apparent. So I don't know how Carmela Soprano would have missed them. She just didn't want to see it. Mm. And also, I mean, that's you know they're quite apparent in Beau Travail, which is basically a homoerotic full metal jacket. I think it's fair to say the film won a number of awards for its cinematography and is widely regarded as Denis' finest film. Uh, side note, Greta Gerwig states that Beau Travail is the film which inspired her to become a director. There you go. Trivia. I think for both of us, this was our first Claire Denis film, right? Yes. 
That's right. From what I can tell, her filmography reflects her biography. The vast majority of her work is set in Africa and deals with issues of race and the effects of French colonial history, which is not a surprise as Denis was born in Paris, Paris, but raised in colonial French Africa where her father was a civil servant, living in Burkina Faso, Cameroon, French Somaliland, which became Djibouti, and Senegal. When I saw the 90-minute runtime for this film, I was exceptionally pleased. <laughs> However, I did find this to be a particularly slow-moving 90 minutes. It's a slow-moving 90 as minutes. Much, as much as I do enjoy watching topless men exercising in tight shorts in the desert. Yeah, it is a slow 90 minutes. It got me to thinking like almost immediately of uh, Lynn Ramsey, but I think Lynn Ramsey has a sort mm. of a more choppy way of um, shooting. Denise cinematography in both films we watched this week is an awful lot more like she does her composition with the, the with the bodies. Uh, camera placement is important too, but I mean, she works an awful lot like a stills photographer, I find, in the way she directs. Mm. And whereas Lynn Ramsey seems to just like film everything and chop around between it at more poetic moments, whereas Bo like Beautravail is really, really constructed along the you know lines of the physicality of the performers and, and so forth. This is the type of film that I appreciated more once I read some of the theory behind it, but I did not particularly enjoy the experience of watching it. Hmm. I felt there's little or no character development. It's aiming for a poetic lyricism while making no allowances for the viewer. If I might say, what I uh, expanded on when we talked about Jacques Audiard, about French films, yeah. I mean, yeah. the films of Claire Denis are really what I meant, I suppose. And I'll talk about more of that, uh, more about that with, like, when I'm, I'm getting on to High Life. But with Beau before we start uh, getting through it and breaking it down, I suppose it's fair to say, I did, yeah, find it uh, as as slow as you. I did find it, like, really beautiful as well. But I have to say... All of that was kind of blown away by um, just the, the final scene, which I just, I don't know, that really, really got to me. I thought that was fairly amazing. Even watch it again to the point of just to try and figure out what exactly, I think she kind of achieves, achieved something of a hypnosis on me to the point that when that final scene happens, it, like I was fucking bawling. <laughs> to be to be quite right, to be quite honest, I, I like and I most of the way through the film, I was exactly like you. I was kind of like, I mean, it's nice, it's dragging a little bit, but wow, that just blew me away. Anyway, tonally the tonally the film reminded me of Apocalypse Now, which is one of my favorite films of all time. Mm. Similarly, this is an adaptation of a nineteenth-century novel slash novella, updated to a modern-day setting, narrated by the main character and dealing with a group of soldiers. Mm. However, stuff. Stuff happens in Apocalypse Now. Yeah. Like all the time yeah. throughout the film. Action, interesting characters, fat Marlon Brando, yeah. everything that you could possibly want. On the other hand, I do think Apocalypse Now would have been improved with a scene of Martin Sheen dancing to Corona's 1993 hit, The Rhythm of the Night. Hmm. Yeah, 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 it might have been. And also the, I mean, the soundtrack to the inside of my head for the last seven days, probably. Well, this is the rhythm of the night. And just, yeah, yeah. This is the rhythm of my life. This is it. I'm just bursting forth into, this is the rhythm of the night. Every five minutes around here. The film starts with some scenes setting up the location as Djibouti. Soldiers in a nightclub dancing with ladies. Are they prostitutes or just ladies? 
Let's call them colonial prostitutes. Hmm. That is a, a very respectful title. There's a train crossing the desert, a group of topless legionnaires doing yoga by the sea while the Benjamin Britten opera plays in the background. That's the dialogue-free first seven minutes of a 90-minute film. Yeah. That's what she's all about. That's what Claire Denis is about. Yeah, that's fair. We're introduced to adjutant chef Galup, Galup played by Denis Lavon who is cursed or blessed, depending on your tastes, with Nazi officer face. <laughs> yeah, uh, where have I seen him before? I didn't bother looking, but I know I've seen him before. Nothing that I... Because I thought it was like Jürgen Prochnow or something. <laughs> I just thought this guy is clearly a German officer. Oh, so I haven't German seen him face. before. He's in Holy Motors and a bunch of other stuff, but nothing... I, I didn't know him from anything. Oh, but okay. he's, he seems to be quite well well respected French character actor. Okay. So his his character Galou is in Marseille writing his memoirs. It's clear that he used to be a legionnaire and that something went drastically wrong at some point. We cut back to Djibouti, where we see numerous scenes of the men doing exercises and training. Galou explains that one day a new legionnaire arrived called Gilles Santon, the Billy Bud of the story, and the Galou. Uh, immediately disliked him for the same reasons as Claggart disliked Bud, his beauty, popularity, bravery, etc. We're introduced to Galoup's commanding officer, Com Commandant Bruno Forestier, played by Michel Subor. Subor portrayed the same character, Forestier, in the 1963 Jean-Luc Godard film Le Petit Soldat. Hmm. It kind of reminded me of uh, Steven Soderbergh uh, using Terence uh, Stamps. Yeah character in the limey also being from the film the uh, ken loach film poor cow i want to say it's called yeah yeah something cow <laughs> something like that yeah something cow galoop looks up to forestier in one scene around this point the men are walking in the streets of djibouti in the early morning and hoist santan above their heads carrying him like a champion Galoop looks on in his black shirt, trousers, and white and black saddle shoes. It's hard to emphasize enough just how little action is taking place throughout all of this. Yeah. We're about 30 minutes into the film so far. There's a lot of beautiful imagery unfolding, but an incredibly slow pace. Yeah, I mean, it's, it was around this. It's mostly, it's mostly um, drilling. It's just drilling, drilling, drilling. And not the fun kind, like from There Will Be Blood. Djibouti the Hall. army kind from Full Metal Jacket. That's what we're watching. Drilling and dancing, basically. It was around this point that I paused the film in order to shave my head. <laughs> really? And genuinely, about, about half an hour into the film, I was getting annoyed by having a mullet, a, a lockdown mullet. So I paused the film and my sh I shaved my head. Nice. Good for you. This is... This is the second film in a few weeks where I've been directly influenced to mimic something I saw on screen. After watching The Rider in Nomadland, I bought a Carhartt jacket. This week during Beau Travail, I shaved my head. I'm looking forward to next week when we watch William Friedkin's Cruising. <laughs> this, one, this one is actually, I, I did this in the format of a write-your-own hacky joke, so here's the alternate. I'm looking forward to next week when we watch John Waters' Pink Flamingos. Very nice, very nice. The next important scene is when a helicopter on maneuvers crashes off screen. It should be added. We don't want to give too much action. Santin rescues one of the survivors and, comm and is commended for his bravery. 
which of course stokes Galoup's hatred and envy even further. Yeah, he's got such a hard on for Santaine, and like literally, this isn't obliquely a gay story. I would say, which I mean, I would consider it a strength, really. But I mean, whatever it is, he's got something in for Santaine. It's very like um, like an awful lot of Edgar Allan Poe short stories where you're just inside somebody's head, and the person like I have you ever read the Telltale Heart. No, but I watched the episode of The, the Simpsons, Simpsons, of course, yeah, exactly. It, so I pretty much get the yeah, story. Yeah, exactly. You don't need to watch it. Anyway, this guy is living in a boarding house and there's an old man there with a glass eye and he just hates this old man's glass eye so much. And the, most of the story is just thinking about that glass eye uh, until he murders the old man. And there's a, there are a few other post stories like that about just somebody just being obsessed with hating something so much. And that's mostly what this is. I mean... Like, on account of the fact that all the soldier boys are so, you know, um, hot and tidy and muscly and stuff, you know, you could interpret it as a, as a gay story, but he just seems to just hate Santaine. And Santaine is as oblivious as a puppy dog to it the whole time as well. He has no idea what's happening. I have to say, compared to High Life, this is a film that's almost all male characters. <laughs> Mm. This is by far the sex, he's by far the sexier of the two films. Yeah, totally. I, yeah, you're you're bang on the money here. High Life is one of the least sexy films I've ever seen. Yes, yes. It is horrifying. Anyway, back to Butchavayach. Galou takes the men to set up camp in a more isolated area near the coast. I, I had a question at this point. Okay. Like, what the fuck are they actually doing in Djibouti? I mean, I read that there was a French garrison there until 2011 to oversee and protect the independence and territorial integrity of the of the Republic of Djibouti. But what were these specific? What was this specific this specific group of guys actually doing? Cuz it looks Training. like they're just on looks like they're on they're on scout camp. Yeah. They're just doing a, a like a to, a topless lads holiday in Africa. They don't appear to be actually doing anything. I mean, yeah, they're just training. It's a training camp. That's it, I think. Is that what it is? Yeah. This is, this, this is just a criticism I have of the French Foreign Legion, possibly. The French Foreign Legion is, like, I mean, that, like, as just words, that's a trope for, it's like running away to the circus, isn't it? I'm going to go off and join the yeah, Foreign yeah. Legion. Yeah, it's kind of a weird concept. It feels like just welcoming people from all different countries. And if I read a, a bunch about the French Foreign Legion, I think it's like if you do three years, you can get French citizenship. And if you spill blood, if if you're injured, you automatically you spill your blood for France and they give you citizenship. Oh, that's pretty also cool. For that. Yeah, so you just need to go and then like cut your finger or something. For the next 30 minutes of the film, we see a series of training exercises, shots of men digging, views out over the cliffs by the camp, not a lot of action. Three of the men are Muslims and are observing Ramadan. They are shown to be fasting during several scenes. One of the Muslim legionnaires abandons his guard post during the night to go to a local mosque. When Galut finds out, he accuses the man of desertion and punishes him by forcing him to dig a hole in the camp. Is there a suggestion of racism or Islamophobia here? I don't think so. The no. Muslim character who's punished is also black. And I just I felt like the film was made in a time where racial tension in France was very high, although it might always be very high, but I just wondered if that was highlighted at some in some way or not. I didn't I didn't pick up on that. I th- like I think it's just, you know, I mean, I, it's just like private pile, 
essentially you know what i mean you you could like uh, like at the end of the day private pile interpreted it as he was being victimized and i think you're being a bit of a private pile here andy but no i don't think so i just think he's a he's a like a drill sergeant but then actually it does transpire that this is all part of galu's devious uh, scheme isn't it private pile was also like mentally subnormal and was being bullied for that yeah i mean i'm that's all i had to say about that i'm on the side of the beloved core every time you know you know me fair enough i don't have any problem with it but when the Black Legionnaire is carrying out his punishment, digging a six-foot hole, hands bleeding in the process, Santin offers him some water. This enrages Galoup, who knocks the bottle from Santin's hand. In response, Santin, much like Billy Budd, strikes his superior officer. However, unlike the Melville novella, Galoup does not die. In fact, Galoup planned the entire scenario because, as a punishment, he drops Santin off miles away from camp with only basic supplies and a compass. A broken compass. A compass, a compass which, yeah, which Galoup had sabotaged. Because fuck you, Gilles Santin, walking around being liked by people, you dick. And he's all pretty and stuff, and uh, um, Galoup's oh, got, yeah, got a big pockmarked face. Galoup's got SS face. What was the deal with that punch? So they cut the audio and do a slow-mo punch. I really liked it. I thought it was good. I liked that. She, uh, D- uh, Cl- I want to say Denny Villeneuve. Claire, Claire Denny Villeneuve. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she also used that in, in, in High Life uh, at some point, I recall. Yeah. Having some action done in kind of slow-mo with no audio. Yeah, they're silent. I think it's, I think it's, power- I think it's more powerful. I liked it. Huh, fair enough. That's one of her choices I appreciated. Maybe I've just watched too many, I don't know, karate movies and I like a good twok. <laughs> yeah, it would be better. I do agree it would have been better if, like, a cartoon-style word had appeared on the screen. That's always said, better. Like, bang. That's always better, yeah. Yeah, that's how you know. It's good to know that there's been a, <laughs> a, there's been a real connection with the face, if we can just see a word appear telling us. <laughs> All right, fair enough. I'm an idiot. Next, we see Sontan wandering across the wilderness of Djibouti. There are some beautiful shots of a salt-filled lagoon. The entire terrain is covered entirely in salt. We see Santin finally lie down in the baking sun with his jacket over his face. At a local market, the men discover Santin's compass, which has been found by local nomads. With Santin presumed dead, Galou is court-martialed and forced to leave the Foreign Legion. In a following scene, a group of nomads find Santin barely alive and return him to civilization. I was shocked to see that he was still alive. Yeah, I th- yeah, yeah, I thought he was going to die. He's all dried out. In the final two scenes, firstly, we see Galou back in Marseille lying on his bed with his pistol in hand, presumably about to commit suicide. The second scene is the one we've all been waiting for. This is worth the price of entry alone. In this scene, Galou is back in the nightclub in Djibouti in the past, dressed all in black with his black and white shoes. What follows is an amazing dance scene set to the rhythm of the night, shot in one take, where Denis Lavant gives it absolutely everything in a footloose Billy Elliot style Yeah. The end. I found that just really, really moving. That just, if I, for some reason, that just really, really, really got me right in the, in the, in, in the jigglies. And um, I just, uh, I was thinking a lot about it, like afterwards, because I went back to work afterwards. And the only thing I could relate it to was, I've talked about this show a lot on this podcast, it seems like, um, but um, I, the Russell T. Davies show It's a Sin and I remember at the start of that I even was very moved because this is a scene where a kid who's a young gay guy leaves 
the Isle of Wight and even where he's on his way to university in London and he knows he's he knows he's he's a gay guy but beforehand he clears out any traces of his um, sexuality from his closet in case his mother discovers it then he's just on the ferry over to um the mainland and uh, there's just such joy in the picture and I suddenly kind of realized it's like oh man this is why people are so like writers and audiences alike with when once with their prejudices dialed down or you know forgotten about maybe you know societies evolved beyond them this is why storytellers are so attracted to uh, gay storylines because basically you've got a full arc within your own body you know you're both the hero and the villain of the story and you're the princess in the tower that you have to rescue maybe could have done better with the phrasing there but I thought I think that mm-hmm. yeah, just in at the end of this, no matter what happens, once he gets kind of kicked out of the army, just in that scene, there's just this insane just burst of freedom, um, that I just found really really joyful and beautiful. But wait, how did you interpret this though? Because just, I mean, this dance scene shouldn't be a joy. I I think that the the dance scene is in the past, is back in when he when he was still in the legion. Yeah. I mean, the idea is the yeah, so the end is that he's lying on a bed in Marseille about no, to kill himself. No, but I mean, th- no, I think the I think the for example, okay, so He's not wearing his uniform. He's wearing his, he's dressed in his black shirt. So I think this is after he's gotten kicked out, right? Um, mm, disagree. Oh no, I don't. I don't think so. That's not the that's not the interpretation that I've read or have. I think the final scene in the chronology of the film is the second last scene where he's lying on his bed. In he's back in Marseille. He has his gun. And he's wearing his uh, French Foreign Legion dress shirt, I think, and he's planning on killing himself, basically. And, it's, and then it zooms into a, his a scene. It zoomed in, it zooms into his bicep, which is thrumming away. Or there's a vein like uh, rhythmically popping away on that, and mm-hmm. then continue. And then you, the final scene is showing that that was the period of his life when he was actually happy. That's when he was alive. Is when he was in the Legion, and then he lost that, and that was taken from him. Hmm. Okay. That's how I interpret it, at least. I would say, okay, so the whole way through the film, we're watching basically just bodies moving very rigidly, very rhythmically, um, uniformly. In even, even in the dance scenes, it's all to do with copulation. And it's all this kind of camaraderie. It's the sort of camaraderie the boys on uh, The Bounty could have used between the guys. And this guy is just a he's like he's a loner you know he's not part of the gang and so then when we kind of when like basically the way he moves in that final scene is just the antithesis to everything we've seen so far from the film and i don't think like okay like this is a french movie to the max because objectively it's like an army film but we we huh i said we we nice uh, like objectively an army f- it's an army film but is it fucking army film and yeah i i like i think Whatever it is, it's about like certain controls you place on yourself or maybe somebody else places them on you. And yeah, I think when he like, okay, ultimately, there, if this film could be defined by anything, it is open to interpretation. Um, you, you have your reading. I have uh, hundred. Yeah, hundred percent yeah. agree. I'm not saying. That, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. My interpretation. Because it is anything but a di- interpretation. But a didactic film, you know, very much on purpose. It's just like. It's and, and and what a bizarre ending as well, you know. But I, yeah, I found that mm. to be quite I, like I just felt that that was him sort of bursting out of um, 
himself a little bit though certainly the guy we've, we've seen so far it's really just infectious kind of a joyful scene i thought i think i found it quite moving but also i was just like the choice of song is so ridiculous <laughs> it's hard not to like, yeah, yeah, yeah. to listen to that song and just think like fucking hell that is a that's a rough song uh, as I said, I did not enjoy watching this film that much, but in retrospect, after finding out what it represented, I definitely appreciate it much more. I'd say it's a film that can't really be spoiled and would probably benefit from reading up on the themes before watching it. Yeah. Or maybe I'm just thick and can never grab subtext <laughs> without a character saying, the rat symbolizes obviousness. So. Um, well, one th- what was it... Um... I sought out Mark Cousins talking about it on the Odyssey of Film after watching it. What I liked about this film, <laughs> it was a very gay film. <laughs> oh, God bless Mark Cousins with his interesting things to say and his very creepy voice. I'm a big fan. Yeah, yeah, me too. I love the Odyssey of Film. Genuinely. That was great. Are you old enough to remember Movie Drum? Yes. Um, That's all I know Mark Cousins from. Ah, <laughs> uh, Right. I like sometimes if I watch a film and I found out that it was on movie drum, I, I, I search around and see can I find um, him or the other guy introducing it. And sometimes you can. Nice. All right, cool. That would bring us to our next uh, film, your reactionary film. Guy Life. Yeah, yeah, indeed. High Life. You reacted with High Life, and so we'll, we'll get into it. Which of the two did you prefer? Uh, High Life is 100% more my cup of tea than Botrevi. I enjoy sci-fi i like a bit of the old black hole related stories so yeah this is definitely much more my speed stuff happens it has a way more traditional narrative and uh where would you rank where would you rank a uh, high life along in the canon of um robert pattinson works with acclaimed directors i was just i was thinking about that like i feel like Cosmopolis in 2012 is was the start of when he started to leave behind all of the Twilight shite and become like a really a very solid actor. It, it's strange to look at him now because you don't you that the the image of his yeah. horrible hair and white skin from Twilight is so far removed now. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's be- just he's a really it. great actor. He's beaten it, like hasn't he? A hundred percent. He's he's yeah, he's so much better than that now. Yeah, yeah. It's I mean, it, what, what are the options for this? And it goes to show that it can be done uh, if like you if you're talented. You know what I mean? Yeah, like if you're good. This yeah, is what this is why Daniel Radcliffe hasn't really been able to do it. Sorry, Daniel Radcliffe. But like, yeah, sorry, Danny. Yeah, yeah, but it, it, like, it's just, yeah, he's a really talented actor. So I mean, this would, yeah, this fits in that canon. In that, I, I like, like, look who else is in the movie. You've got Andre Three Thousand. Basically, people are fans of um, of Claire Denis and want to work with her. I think is is is, yeah. is a thing. And he's also, yeah. So you've got Cosmopolis, where he worked with David Cronenberg. You have The Rover, where he worked with, help me out, Australian director uh, David Michaud. Yeah, he, or where he's he, called. He worked with David Michaud. I haven't only seen animal kingdom both <laughs> david my david my chode i think so. <laughs> uh, he's recently worked with christopher nolan of course uh he worked with the safty brothers on good time um i would mm. yeah have you seen cosmopolis no but it's just the looking at his filmography it's the first one that jumps out is not a massive pile of shit <laughs> fair enough yeah, yeah yeah if you want to put it like that all right well anyway so 
High Life is also Claire Denis' first uh, English language film. Came out in 2018 and was marketed as a sci-fi hard f- horror film, and that would be apt, uh, but for the fact that it is also very much a French film through and through, except for the language. And we can, like, w- as I said earlier, we can recall. Ident- yeah, we'll, we'll come back to language definitely. We can uh, recall identifying Jacques Audiard's films as like demonstrating exactly what people might find annoying about French films and to listen back to that now it must seem obvious that we had not yet watched Claire Denis Sacre Bleu yeah yeah it, like in summarizing films such as like Beau and High Life one must not simply say what happens but also identify what the fuck they're trying to get at with the film and you gotta like lean forward to get to that so it's fair to say like in terms of first motive summary um, not much happens in either of these films yeah, I would say. Well, I mean, no, and it's not that not, but they're both charged with a sense of kind of aimlessness more so. Um, and it would require a very surface level, level viewer to uh, like just completely just dismiss them both and say, ah, nothing happens because clearly there's something else going on that they're trying to get looking at, at the looking at the the audience like user reviews online mm-hmm. for these films. I would say that fewer people have seen both Travai, so it, it's a lot more kind of uh, art film yeah. fans going, like, you know, make these like horribly pretentious reviews. But High Life was clearly marketed and put out as a as a kind of mm. traditional sci-fi film. So so many of the user reviews are like one one star. This is shit. Nothing <laughs> happens. So yeah, you just need to. But this that I, I watched them in this order. So yeah, me too. After the first film, watch, watching High Life, you're like fucking hell. This thing, this things are happening all the time. Yeah, yeah. Well, no one could charge either of these films with ugliness, even when they're occasionally nasty. For me, anyway, certainly any charges of vacuousness would fall on deaf ears. I mean, it's fair. Like, I am... Listen to me. I'm in the middle of season two of... <laughs> of of something like Banshee, and I'm loving it. I'm I can certainly dig vacuous vacuous entertainment when it comes along to me, but um, I mean you could never charge that as something like High Life, even if nothing happens. You know, there's something going on. They're deep. They're pretentious by right. design, and the greatest flaw I could probably level at either of them is that one of them is in English, and that proves to be a much bigger stumbling block than you might think, because some of the dialogue in this is clunky as shit. For me, the only problem area in this film is the dialogue. Yes. And the script was originally written in French by Claire Denis and Jean-Paul Fargo. And you can tell. Before they brought, before they brought on board English novelist Zadie Smith to work on it. Mm. And at some point there was a falling out and Smith left the project. And it kind of feels like they just went with the translation of the French at that point. Because yeah. there are some fairly cringy exchanges, such as Juliette Binoche's character, Dib, says, I know I look like a witch. I mean, you all call me Voltura, right? Yeah, yeah. And there, what does that even? What does that mean? There, what is there's that? other lines in it that just ma- that just take you right out of the movie for me. Like, uh, there's one. Part- here's here's one of my other. Yeah, mm-hmm. tell me yours, and I'll okay, tell I've you got a, one. one. At one point, uh, she calls Robert Pattinson the shaman of sperm. That was the one I had. I just don't know how you still believe in your class two mission. It's like you've become a shaman of sperm. And then and there's another point where one girl says to another, "You're not as strong as you think you are, big booty girl." And um, yeah, oh, yeah. What's all that? That's the, that's repeated. Yeah, that's yeah. not just one time. It's like something we're supposed to pick up on that she has big has a girl. has a big ass. It's mad. Djibouti's big. That's <laughs> what she's referencing. She's slam, trying to reference uh, good work. Slam dunk. 
there. 10 out of 10. I'm taking notes on the dad jokes. It opens, anyway, with a scenario that, for me at least, like, was just compelling as fuck when I saw it. Uh, so we've got um, Orpatz's Monty aboard a spaceship drifting like he's the Nostromo's last passenger. And comparisons with Alien begin here, of course. Well, they can end here, too. It's got really Alien vibes out, yes. out the wazoo. <laughs> And uh, silent running as well would be a big touchstone, and yeah, things like that. Um, that's it would be a big reference point, especially when they're in the garden. Anyway, he's not alone though; he's got a space baby, and uh, we can see him going through the day to day of running the ship until we see him let a bunch of deadens out the airlock, and we're like, "What happened to the deadens? Who are they?" And we're about to get told who they are in the clunkiest bit of exposition I can remember seeing <laughs> in anything ever, genuinely. I don't think I've ever seen anything as clunky as this. Uh, you, I am all ears, if you can think of anything, more just hammered in where it does not fit than the, the following scene. You know what I'm talking about, right? The, the woman talking to the yeah. guy on the train. yeah. We, yeah, that is, is very, very surreal. We flash back to Earth and a journalist is meeting a man on a train who is opposed to the idea that they're sending death row prisoners into space to do experiments on them. Now, I'm not quoting it, but I'm almost quoting it when I say it like that. So this is like the first appearance of that stumbling block, which I, I'm, like, I'm willing to put down to a language barrier. But it, like, And it's not just the exposition, because the exposition is one thing, but that's just evidence of like maybe another pass would have been required on the script maybe they could have like um expanded the story of the journalist or maybe just tell us that in a title card i could get over that i can get over that but what i found very distracting for the rest of the film was just how poorly written the actual sentence was he says she says this isn't the only reason you're coming to this conference and then he says yeah radical experiments are taking place in outer space Death row inmates are selected to be used as guinea pigs. Is this really how Occidental governments ought to deal with criminals? I doubt it very much. That's what he says. The quality of the writing, or maybe the thickness of the language barrier, becomes more of a problem when we go back to uh, the ship and flash backwards in time to before the baby was born and before everyone died. But it, like that, and once I noticed that just bad writing there it kind of irked me every time it happened after that and it happens a fair bit we've already mentioned it also the uh script was supposedly 30 pages long when shooting began so i think a lot of this content was shaped during filming yeah yeah i mean it's like a lot of this dialogue it's, it go, like maybe this is how maybe this is how people people write movies in france i mean you've spoken before on here about me underestimating how sincere japanese culture is i mean maybe french movies are like this and we don't speak french maybe that's it but the, like the like it does some of some of the dialogue does have a it does have a sound of like the french kind of like super cool when they just some of the phrasing of French, uh, it, it does feel a bit like that, like the, uh, to how things are referenced. But in English, it sounds ridiculous. One... Some of the things that Robert Pattinson says mm. sound, they're such like a horribly generic guy from the US, like kind of criminal from, from the South somewhere. It's just... yeah is not a proper character yeah 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 bang on the money there that's exactly it that's exactly it and like actually the, like um I, and I'll, I'll say it yeah a little bit of the visual exposition is, is a little bit like clunky like that as well we're when we're flashback to their lives as supposed death row criminals they just look like homeless people 
You know what I mean? Yeah. It's I mean, a bit, what it, what it, did they do? It's not well explained. I like the imagery from those flashbacks, yeah. but it's, they're not clear at all. Well, even the whole point, like Monty is supposedly was guilty of killing a childhood friend over the death of his dog. Hmm. Like that was not particularly clear to me until characters had to sort of spell it out. Which is how we learn things in this film. They just spell it out. Yeah, yeah. Someone tells you. But I also didn't mind that. I, I kind of didn't mind the tell don't show or the show <laughs> well, you, badly yeah. and then all, and then tell badly. This week's first film, I made comparisons to Lynn Ramsey. I mean, Lynn, there's a director who who would be able to explain this to you with just editing and nice shooting and yeah yeah, I yeah. Mean, visually yeah if you yeah i agree yeah, yeah i mean like there's another thing as well like i this is one of the clunkier lines that i didn't even write down but there was uh, there's a part in it where um one of the characters says to julia binoche and uh, f- spoilers for the next five minutes of this podcast but she says maybe you're the reason the fetuses are dying or something and i'm just there listening to going use a pronoun like no, why would you say fetus is there? It's just like that. That shit just irks me out the wazoo, and it really distracted me. Now that said, I mean, it was the reason it was annoying me to be distracted is because there's a lot in this film of stuff that I would normally really love, and I did love here when it when it went right. But I yeah. the start to finish, well, I know because there's no dialogue when he's just with a baby, or at least it's just him saying do do da 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 da. But then, like, dialogue really begins after that train uh, flashback, which that, that's... Oh, by the way, I need to explain. The reason I'm saying it's clunky is we never see those characters again. Right, just the other people riding the rails. with, And they've got dirt on their faces. Yeah. That's how you know that they're homeless, they're vagrants. We never see um, those characters again. And Even though we're saying all this negative stuff, I, I still really... I, I like this film. I like the ideas presented... It's not something I would ever watch again, but I did. I enjoyed the experience of of watching it, and I liked. I, I liked the film overall. What I liked about it, I liked so much that I'm bugged by how poor the dialogue is because it will. Mm. I will ne- like. I'll never watch this again either. But like, when this is yeah, good, yeah, it's yeah. swinging and hitting in the same kind of zone as something like Under the Skin, which is a. A, a, right. a much better film not much better but a, like yes, powerful yeah. no, I would say it's much better it's a very powerful film and like this gets near what makes that so powerful on occasion but then mm. it'll always judge you out of it with clunky dialogue always it turns out that everyone is a death row inmate and they're all hurtling towards a black hole fast enough to have quantum mechanics simultaneously shoot them into the future as they go. The men are encouraged to wank all the time in a weird box, while the women are occasionally selected to be artificially inseminated. The inseminations are experiments to see can children be conceived while traveling at such speeds and with such high levels of radiation. And uh, they're being run by Juliet Binoche's Dibs, who's kind of seems to be based on the ancient Greek, uh, Greek character, mythological yeah, yeah. Medea, the the um, Euripides p- um, play, a lady who kills her children. We find out later, and uh, her sole qualification seems to be she wears a white jacket. Monty has chosen celibacy aboard the ship, but headlong in the wanking game are a great big incel. And Northern Horndog Rapist. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And Andre 3000. Yep. Let the games begin. So I'm going to just describe yep. uh, the incidents as they happen here. Because that, like, I mean, in so much... It's not much of a plot, really. No, that that, that is all the plot. Because we're now, yes. now we need to know how we're going to get to all the dead people getting let out of the airlock, essentially. 
Maybe a, a better title would have been "Wanking Round a Black Hole." Wanking right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm I'll... wanking round a black hole. I'm just thinking. I'm just trying to think of rather than high life, space wank. Space wank. Yeah, I'm with that. That's cool. Hmm. All right, cool. So yeah. Okay. But by the way, okay. <laughs> With the uh, with with the arrival of Android three thousand, did you go? What the f? What's Android? Th- I I didn't recognize him. I had to look him up, and I was like, oh yeah, I remember him. Uh, I remember those guy. I remember Outcast. Fair enough. I just I just thought that was what a mad addition to the cast. But there you go. Anyway, clearly he's a cinephile. Otherwise, why why on earth would he be doing this? But uh, God bless him. Fair fair play. All the boys are encouraged to masturbate into into this little. Uh, cube let's say and uh, then we okay first incident we get to see we see Juliet Binoche's character go into a room and sit on the sex chair from Burn After Reading um, yeah that's exactly what I was thinking uh, the, old, the old Clooney sex chair yeah yeah I mean I have to say at the time the first time I watched uh, Burn After Reading I, I wasn't uh, maybe I just had such high expectations I think it came after No Country for Old Men I wasn't too hot on it but every time I've gone back to it I think it's a marvellous film funny. It's a, and that is one of the the best gags how that is built up to the reveal of the sex chair mm-hmm. is just a terrific gag. But anyway, it's not a gag here. It's one of the. It's a horrific scene. It's 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 one of the most horrifying things. I, I think I was watching it kind of hiding. Yeah. a little. It is because it is it's just horrifying. It's so gross. So yeah, we've got we get dibs sits on the sex chair from Burn After Reading, um, grabs sort of harnesses from above and starts writhing on some sort of a metal dildo on which she has put a condom for some reason. Did you notice that? Safety safety first. Yeah, she put a condom on yeah, it. Yeah, because everyone else everyone else is using it as well. So ah, fair it's not fair that she's, you know, you need to keep some sort of standards of cleanliness in space fair. and everywhere else. Anyway, she's having a whale of a time and we notice um, sort of a bunch of, scars on her stomach now this is i like i think i think this is the point where those scars are there to explain why she's doing the experiments because it's never explicitly told to us Um, she we know we learn later on in the film that she killed her husband and then her two kids and tried to commit suicide herself maybe that's why she's on death row it's not clear why she's been able to take charge of the ship Though I don't, I don't. Well, you have to imagine that even the captain of the ship must also be on death row. <laughs> Just mm. everyone is on death row. Yeah, but I mean, it, it, death row records. <laughs> Was the purpose of this voyage these baby experiments, or did Dibs just? Qu- commandeer whatever was going on it's unclear again it's unclear but then before we know it they're they're hurtling out into space a number of things happens okay so we've got first of all the horrific sex scene then next we've got a electra who is a one a pregnant prisoner aboard the ship who gives birth to a baby but it dies and then she later dies then we've got uh the great big incel is he the captain no no the incel guy the, the guy who's the captain is the one who has a stroke He's a skipper. Oh right, okay. So that yeah, all right. So the 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 captain has a stroke and he is uh, euthanized. Then no, she she kind of kills him. Yeah, yeah. There... Dibs Dibs kills him. Yeah, yeah. And we we learn around this time as well that she kind of sporadically puts drugs in the water supply um, of the ship to you know uh, have everybody at her behest and to remain in charge. Okay, then next we've got 
that like yeah the definitely well no actually not even and it is a horrific scene it's not the most horrific scene in the film but it is a horrific scene yeah i don't know it's a bit of a toss-up are you talking about the rape which yes. which one the atten- yeah 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 the, so the attempted rape so the northern horn dog um i just know him from the t- te- the bbc television show world on fire um i'm not sure of his name i think yeah he's he's he is he is indeed a, a northern horn dog mm. i mean he's he, i guess he's from like manchester somewhere I, I didn't even catch his accent but yeah he's from the north of england somewhere and he as you say he's a massive incel he looks like a massive incel bull burnham yeah it's disturbing anyway so what he does is he ties a pair of the girls to the bed and then sneaks into their room at night to attempt to uh, rape them at which like at, 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 like they kind of struggle with him fighting him off the pilot one of the pilot uh, comes and uh, tries to get him off and then he basically beats the shit out of her and then one of the girls goth who seems to have a big connection with robert pattinson's monty um, screams and screams and screams at which point Monty comes along beats the shit out of Northern Horndog tries to take Goth away and then the other prisoner who was tied up gets loose and stabs him to death it is a, it is a, a full on horror scene like it's really really rough and dark and violent and, it re- and yeah really well done like absolutely 100% like edgier seat kind of stuff because it's it, it's scenes like that where it feels like a bunch of death row inmates floating through space yeah yeah uh, by the way I think so Mia Mia Goth is the actress right and the character is called Boise Boise alright Boise alright Boise uh, and she was she was married to uh, Shia LaBeouf oh really for a few years yeah because she was in um, Nymphomaniac Ah, oh, yes, she's young Charlotte Gainsbourg. Have you seen Nymphomaniac? Yeah. I just flicked through it just to see what was in it. You know, I just had, had a quick look just to check out a few scenes. Don't need to see the whole thing. Don't need to hear all the talking. I've seen enough, let's say, of the two parts. I know what's, I know what's going on. So next up, Dibs, um, Dibs decides, okay, guys, you're all just getting excited. So she doubles the uh, the dosage of sedatives in... Uh, the water supply of the ship and then she rapes Monty gets his semen out of him she makes him come while he's asleep um, by raping him and then she takes his Mm -hmm. semen and shoves it up Boise who produces a healthy baby but Monty becomes unaware that he's the father and she keeps the baby from the rest of the crew because she just wanted her baby then next up that is is a very accurate telling because (laughs) it is that fucked up everything you just described is accurate yeah yeah you know what the thing is as well It's, it's horrifying as well yeah it is like I could already hear a big group of incels giving out that uh, the rape is not portrayed quite as the rape of uh, Monty isn't quite as horrific as it ought to be. But I genuinely, th- I I think, uh, I I yeah, I I I find it very yeah yeah. I, I think I think horrible. it's I think it's really interesting how uh, Claire Denis does it because, like, I know people who that's happened to. Mm-hmm. I know people who that who that's happened to, and they describe it thus, and they were horrified by how it went on, and they describe it as just kind of confusing due to traditional male and female roles in society, but ultimately somebody was being victimized, and like Juliet Binoche is good casting for the kind of character that Dibs turns out to be in that because she is kind, she yeah. she's fairly formidable 
um, in her look and her body language and everything. And Robert Pattinson, for all his Orpat's glory, does seem to be like a fragile person in this, you know? It's like I said, I did, I, when I said earlier, this is like the least sexy film I can imagine. And it's all about sex. Mm. But I think I read something that Claire Denny said about it. It's like, it, for her, it's this is a film where it's it's about sex in terms of fluids <laughs> yeah it's not there's nothing there's nothing sexy about it it's just a series of some really disturbing scenes that just make you feel extremely uncomfortable and then the next one i i mean which i will label black hole nastiness which for me is the nastiest scene in the film i mean it is just Whoa. Spaghettification, Spaghet- I yeah. believe yes, that's called. Yes, yes, yes. I learned the word spaghettification too this week, Andy. Mm. Uh, yeah, so what happens? The ship approaches uh, the black hole and the pilot, uh, as they keep calling her, uh, prepares to pilot a shuttle around it. Okay, a shuttle which just looks like it's a cardboard box, uh, which I thought was funny. Yep. Uh, but anyway, then just at the last minute, uh, unknown to the rest of the par- uh, to, of the passengers, Boise murders the pilot with a shovel and boards the ship herself and attempts to fly into the black hole where she explodes due to spaghettification, as you said. Yeah. Um, can you give a better um, explainer of what spaghettification is? I think it's something to do with as you approach the black hole, you end up basically getting flattened and you get turned into what is like big, a big strip of pasta. Oof. But I can't, I have no idea for the, I don't, I don't know the science behind it. All I know like is, is it turned up, up into spaghetti. All I know is it wasn't like that in Interstellar. Because she just literally... No, no one turned into spaghetti in that. Yeah, she goes the way of like a spinal tap drummer. It is rough. Mm. Yeah, because she's wearing a... Obviously, she's wearing a helmet and you do see her face kind of turn into into jam. Yeah, yeah. And then like, first of all, she starts vomiting blood and then... I mean, the effects are fairly good in that scene, I, I have mm. to say. Okay, so then back aboard the ship, yeah, Mink, the la- the lady who stabbed a horny horn and the northern horn dog to death, uh, then attacks Dibs and um, she gets, sets her bleeding, so she's bleeding a little bit, and then um, but then Monty jumps in and kills that girl Mink, so everybody's just killing each Kill, other. It does it. It's not clear. Like when I was watching it, I was kind of going like, "Well, where's Mink?" Because. He hits her once. He hits her once on the head. Mm. It's just, it doesn't look like a blow that should kill her. Yeah. But apparently it does. Well, yeah, yeah. Because I mean, I don't go around hitting people on the head with metal things, but like, I still feel like for that to immediately kill her is, is quite unlucky. In, in much the same way as a uh, um, you know, with the silent, silent punch, maybe we could have used a little bit of, well, yeah. a little bit of writing on the screen where it just said, kill shot. And yeah, then we would have known. Oh yeah, if if it come, I mean, even if, if it said something, if it just said "fucko," anything, yeah, that would have been clear. Or in the style of the dialogue of the film, perhaps Robert Pattinson might have said, "Now you are dead." So there, I have killed your head <laughs> off. <laughs> yeah, the Google Translate version of the script. Sorry, Claire Denis. I'm sorry. Maybe someday I'll be like Andrew Three Thousand and want to work with you. But anyway. Dibs, just before she uh, ejects herself into space, tells Monty that the kid is his, and then um, Andre 3000 uh, kills himself, in, and uh, Monty buries him in the garden. 
that wasn't that clear to me. No, the suicide of uh, of no, that no, no, no. I, 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 he gets buried in the garden. I actually learned that from Wikipedia. That, mm. Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. It I, wasn't. It was not clearly shown after. Yeah, after the film ended, I was wondering, wait a minute, what happened to Andrew Three Thousand? And I had to learn. So then we go back to the start of the film where we see him let the bodies into space, and uh, we just see Monty struggling away. Uh, trying to raise his baby who he names Willow much uh, later then we see her as a teenager attempting to sleep in the same bed as him but he's like you're too big now get over there one thing that I was thankful for is the film didn't go in any incesty direction which I was like please I was I was slightly concerned as we got towards the end there there was a few hints that it might go that way but uh yeah yeah i was thankful thankfully not one of my uh, favorite scenes towards the end there when with with grown-up willow is that when she's watching tv and she's praying she's trying out praying that's very good and in the background in the background on the tv there's a scottish rugby match and the crowd is singing flyer of scotland i i well i just thought that was really just a nice little touch because she's been raised on a spaceship you know what i mean what is she do like uh, I, I wasn't I wasn't paying attention to the praying part. I was just paying attention to <laughs> Flora it, just, it took me out of the film. I was like I was just like this is Murrayfield or something. Yeah, this, yeah, is just yeah. a, this, this, this is this is in Edinburgh. What's going on? This is weird. This is a bunch of Scottish people singing Flower of Scotland. I love waving flags. I, just, I loved that. It took me out of the film completely. Really? Claire Denny, Scottish nationalist, confirmed. Well, I like. I thought that was uh, just a great little touch, just because. I mean, yeah, she kind of understands the urge to pray, but you know, hasn't been raised in a religious society. She's been raised in a ship, so she's just praying for something. Uh, around this time as well they encounter another ship identical to theirs but it is full of dogs um, who are surviving ship of dogs surviving by eating one another yeah I too thought of I Love Dogs the um, shit Wes Anderson film that's that film's a pile of shit I hate that film really 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 I wasn't a fan it really irked me that film yeah you can visibly see Robert Pattinson get excited when they're approaching that ship because he's just kind of like there, but there, there could be other people on there and she, his uh, Willow is or kind, cats Willow is kind of like uh, why, why do we uh, why do we need other people uh, which he's like yeah yeah why do we but yeah seriously I would like some other people then he gets on and sees that there's a bunch of uh, dead dogs and live dogs he says he cannot bring a dog back just because it could contaminate them which seems like a bullshit excuse I don't really buy it but anyway what do you what I don't know they're also they're also cannibalistic I, don't, I wouldn't trust any of those dogs also they're all eating each other Mon- each other's faces off. Monty has probably seen aliens, or alien rather, I would say. Yeah. And he knows what happens when you, you know, don't mess with quarantine protocol, quite frankly. Uh, so yeah, maybe that's fair yeah, enough. It's probably a bad idea. I think it is a bad idea to take a dog. So ship moves closer to the black hole and um, yeah, uh, Willow convinces Monty to get on board the shuttle with him and they'll fly into it together and that's what they decide to do. That's the end of the film. So now we've covered what happens, but as I referred to earlier on in uh, my review, that's only one half of the covering of this film. One is what happened, and the other is what is she getting at? So, Andy, if you want to play, what is Claire Denis getting at? The floor is yours. It's all about black holes. Nice. It's about, do you know, I don't know if you know this, but Occidental governments are sending prisoners <laughs> up into space to do experiments. <laughs> and I don't think that's any way for the Western for Western civilization to behave, because I... I'm from India and I, I, there there are tigers on my street. 
because <laughs> I live in Assam. I'm Assamese. There are still tigers on my street. I don't know why he's German, but there are tigers on his street, that scientist guy. All right, so he says. you're just not going to help me out in any way. Well, I, 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 would, I would agree that the first film, Bochavayach, can be interpreted. It's worth interpreting in many different ways. Mm. I don't see that with this film. I don't think it represents anything. What I just I think it is what it is. I think she's just okay. It's a, it could be something about like the nature of life for children, or yeah, I don't know the future future of humanity. But I just read it as just the story as it is. I think this one to me is just a clearer like. She came up with this idea, with a sci-fi idea, high-concept sci-fi idea, and that's what she wanted to do. Mm, yeah. And did. Yeah, 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 I think so. Actually, I think you might be right, because it, 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 is, it is interesting enough on its own terms. Uh, the idea that you're just shooting people off into space, quantum mechanics, which for, force them basically, once you shoot them into space, it's, space doesn't even exist. They're just b- moving steady into the future, far past the existence of humanity back on Earth, it would be fair to say. They're moving so fast. So that in itself is an interesting idea, and like using death row inmates to carry out the experiments. So naturally, humans who tend towards violence and, you know, who's going to be more violent than death row inmates. So I suppose, yeah, it's... I was a bit um, bummed out by the clunky dialogue and certain passages of it, but hopefully, I mean, it could inspire somebody to take the general framework of this storyline and do something more commercial with it. And I like arty movies, all right? Stop. Calm down. Anybody who's listening to this, I do. But, um, yeah, not so much this one. I wasn't so hot on this one. I I actually... I I liked it. I preferred um, Beautrevet this week. Boo, you're wrong. Fair. The score for this film is... uh, The score for High Life is provided by Stuart Staples from Tinder Sticks. I'm not the biggest fan of Tinder Sticks, but I have listened to a few albums over the the years and definitely respect their work. Mm. I think Staples does a good job of conveying some of the horror, especially when uh, Juliette Binoche is on the dildo machine. Yeah. So some rather un- unsettling music in the background. The thing, I suppose, like is like there's some really, really unforgettable imagery in this, um, but I don't think any of it is so unforgettable as Galoo dancing like a lunatic to Rhythm of the Night. And like I said, is like I would have been relatively... I found it... Interesting, but not engaging. Good work for most of the um, film. But then once that happened, I kind of said to myself, wow, I'm definitely going to watch this again to just try and figure out how the hell this made me just explode in tears. Like, literally, I I was sobbing watching that. I thought it was so fucking beautiful. You're also a man who... It's weird because to me because you're a man who's just about to have a child. You would think that high life would be the one that would be more affecting. Well, I did like the baby stuff. The baby Willow is played by Scarlett Lindsay, the daughter of Robert Pattinson's friend, musician Sam Bradley. The role was originally going to be played by a pair of twins, but Denny and Pattinson were worried that he wasn't bonding with the kids. That's why he lo- that's why he gets on really well with this baby because it's it's his mate's kid. If you ever want to see a very uh, interesting use of uh, twins in a movie, you should watch uh, the extras for Terminator 2. Linda Hamilton is a twin and uh, they use that to excellent No way. Yeah, yeah, to excellent effect in oh, um, some scene where she's looking in a mirror. You know, you Oh, nice. You remember when she's looking in a mirror and she kind of interacts with herself? That is actually just Linda Hamilton and her identical twin. 
Oh, genius. No, I didn't know that. Yeah. That's great. There you go. Well, yeah, yeah, because, you know, then the T-1000, of course, imitates her on occasion. It's pretty cool. Anyway. Oh, yeah. Now, we'll probably watch Bo Trevi again at some point. I would love to see... Uh, one thing I will say, I would like to see... Um, if I got the opportunity, I would see either of these on a big screen. I would, because I just... Uh, like, I, I don't know, I just feel like there's something... More so in good work that you could really benefit from just completely soaking yourself in, you know? Yeah, I probably won't see either of them ever again, but I enjoyed watching them enough. Mm. I wouldn't be opposed to watching other Claire Denis films. Certainly some of her, especially some of her African stuff, because yeah, I've, I have, um, I've got no idea about anything that's ever happened in Africa, really. I have sought out and will probably watch this afternoon uh, 35 Shots of Rum. So I'll let you know how that mm. goes. What I think it's fair to say this week was a relatively low five for both of us. No, I didn't. I, it's fine. I, I thought it was. I thought it was fine. Fine. They were fine. Grand. Grand. Okay. Interesting. Interesting stuff. Well, I have gone very much arty again for uh, next week. I would say film. Go ahead. The Please f- let me know. The film that I'm going to bring to the table is um, the 2015 Colombian film Embrace of the Serpent which was Mark Kermode's film of the year that year. Lovely. Well, I went for a film from 2019. That's Noah Baumbach's Marriage Story. I've been less inclined to watch films that were released directly to streaming platforms in the last few years, so now I'm desperately trying to catch up. Now, you see here, you've... This was one that I missed. Here you are picking a film that I have seen three times, I think. But I'll see it... Three times? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen this a lot. It's a really good film. Uh, but I'll, okay. uh, no spoilers. I don't want to hear anything about it. Well, you'll hear nothing. All right, I got. I have a, a coin here that's got um, a Spanish man's face on it, who I believe is the king, and a one. That's right. One euro, Please. motherfucker. Okay, one. You're gonna go one. All right, here we are. I gotta do that again. Sorry. Retake. Hope your child is more skilled than this. All right, I got it. And it is Spanish man's face. How many times do you just fucking keep tossing until it comes back, the one that you I'll want? I'll do this one more time if you want. Three. It takes three. No, 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 no. All right. Sorry. So the King of Spain has Congratulations. won, which makes it Embrace of the Serpent. Do you want to hear what you would have won? Please. All right. Because I've seen everything that Noah Baumbach has done, I was delving into films that might have inspired him, and I discovered one, a Woody Allen film that I've never seen, Broadway Danny Rose. Oh, yeah. I've never seen that either. But after the recent documentary that came out about Woody Allen, I certainly won't be watching any of his films. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Yeah, I don't want to watch that. Um, And it's not that I'm so much of a big uh, Woody Allen fan. I just... Uh, d- documentaries like that bum me out, man. I watched that Mi- Michael Jackson one. I mean, it's just uh, I did not enjoy it. It was not enjoying, enjoyable, or interesting to me. I haven't, I haven't watched that either, and I probably don't intend to because, yeah, I want to maintain High Life as the most disturbing and unsexy film I've watched. In recent <laughs> times. So I don't need to, don't need to be watching any of these. Other don't need things. to watch that or Kelly documentary, no. Well, now that one I could get behind. Your companion film for this week, I decided to go for another film that features an expedition in South America. And it's another opportunity to watch Robert Pattinson along with Charlie Hunnam this time. It's James Gray's 2016 film, The Lost City of Zed. 
Excellent. Yes, I've seen it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I really am. Oh, you've seen it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Why have you seen everything? I don't know, man. I mean, to be Obviously fair, you've seen everything. you did pick a film that is, you know, I mean, this has got, that film's got Danica written all over it. Of course, I'm going to want to see that. But of course, I'm going to want to see it again, crucially. Uh, okay, well, I'm glad that you enjoy rewatching all these things. All right, cool beans. And I hope. And then talking about them. I hope, I hope we both enjoy watching Embrace of the Serpent. All right, well, um, bye bye, babes. Bye.